Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. This series explores the letters to the churches in Revelation and how they speak to us today. Let's jump right into today's teaching. I made a comment last Sunday morning that um, I sensed that a good number of folks have kind of got out of the habit of bringing their Bible to church and opening it as we read and study and along with this. So I gave you a word of encouragement, maybe a word of challenge. Um, to start doing that and to do that this morning. And there may be a prize. Anybody do that? Okay. Keep your hands up, please. Okay. I got to pick one. Um, there you go. Somebody was waving. Something. Okay. And after the service, would you come down and see me? <laughs> uh, I don't know your name. I'm sorry. Wendy. Okay. Wendy, you come down and see me after the service. What you have won this morning <clears throat> is an autographed copy of my notes from this morning. It's autographed, so they may be worth something one day. You never know. <clears throat> and something which <clears throat> some of you know, and many of you may not know, is I, I actually work from a a full written verbatim script on a Sunday morning. And so that's really what I read. And I work from that. So you go home today, Wendy, with a, um, an autographed copy of the full notes. There you go. Come see me afterwards. And let me say, please, right at the outset, I, so I'm not misunderstood in any way, any way at all. I believe there's a great deal of spiritual health here at Central Baptist Church. I want you to know that Harriet and I um, believe that this is where God would have had us be for the last, I don't know, seven, eight months or whatever it has been since October last year, since we came to um, be the interim preaching pastor. We believe that very much and appreciate um, your welcome to us, the way you've received us as a couple, the way you responded to God's word. So I thank you for that. But as I say that, we need to acknowledge that we can never become smug or complacent. Any church is no more than a few years away from spiritual death. If it loses its authentic spiritual life, we must never become self-satisfied or contented. That will not do. We'll read that this morning. So I'm going to invite you to stand, please. And Al's going to come and read for the church of Sardis, which is not just across the water away. It's a long way away. Different Sardis. Help, please come and read. The scripture reading is Revelation 3, verses 1 to 6. To the angel of the, Lord, uh, to the, angel of the church in Sardis, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. 
The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So you can imagine the people in Sardis kind of passing by this church and thinking, boy, everything seems to be going really well there. These people also are pretty good citizens of the city. They don't rock the boat. They took part in city life. But as we've learned week by week, the Lord is always able to see things from a different perspective then and now. Jesus is able to see what is on going on on the inside. He doesn't miss words. And Jesus, frank and blunt diagnosis is this. This church may look pretty good on the outside, but in reality, on the inside, in his postmortem, Jesus, the great physician, says, this church is actually dead. Jesus says, you have a reputation for being alive. Lots of things going on. The lights are on every night of the week, and committees are meeting, and you look alive, but in fact, you're dead. You died in your sleep. So the question for us is, what kills a church? It's not always heresy. It's not always scandal, false doctrine. Sometimes churches are slowly killed by things that are much more subtle than that. Let me give you a couple of suggestions this morning, and then we see what we must do. Churches die when they live in the glory of the past. There are two sides or two dimensions to the past. First of all, there's a positive sense of the past, which is vital and important for our understanding of who we are today and what got us to where we are today. Without this sense of the past, we've really become social orphans. Israel has a positive view of its history. It looked back to the saving acts of God. Things like the flight from Egypt, the escape through the Red Sea, water from the rock, man in the wilderness, the memorial stones set in the river Jordan. They said God was there. God was there. God was there time and time again. And God did that. In this way, the past was to inspire and give them hope for the future. God was there then and God would be with them again. History moved them forward into the future. We need to know that the history of Central Baptist almost 100 years ago now. We need to know and tell the story of faith and the dedication of the people who started this church. Their commitment and their sacrifice. Their heart for God. We need to know the history of the pastors and the people who stood in this place to know that we take up the baton of faith and we carry it forward in our run in the race. But there's a negative side to history that stifles and suffocates. It's expressed in the attitude. Remember the good old days. It takes us back to live in the, in the nostalgia of the past. History, then, I suggest to you, becomes our jailer, casting long shadows behind us that darken our hope for the future. So someone has suggested the seven last words of the church are, we've never done it this way before. Imagine if the pioneers of faith of Central Baptist had said that. We would never be where we are today 
They have left us a legacy of faith for today and hope for the future. Their faith blazed a trail for the future. So we, when we hesitate and we mumble, well, we've never done it this way before. We need to hear them say from the past, why are you hesitating? Get on with it. That's what we did. Let me take you back into the Old Testament and remind you of two great pictures. Two great metaphors that we find there. When Israel traveled in the wilderness, the presence of God was with them in what we call the tabernacle. And the unique thing about this tabernacle was it was portable. It moved as the cloud and as a pillar of fire moved. God was moving with his people in the middle of supper. Or maybe as getting kids ready for bed some night. People heard the call come down the line. The cloud is moving. The cloud is moving. The pillar of fire. And they had to start and pack up and move on with that. But then they became settled. And the tabernacle became what? The temple. And something happened, I suggest to you, that is more than just physical buildings. We move from buildings to attitudes. And so to try and explain this to my own little mind and maybe yours, your, your mind this morning, I created a couple of new words. There was a move from what I call from tabernacleness to templeness. That transition is a spiritual transition. You see, in tabernacleness, people watch for the cloud and the pillar of fire. They watch for where God was moving. The voice of God. They watched for what lay ahead of them. And they packed up their stuff. It's like camping. And get on with it. In templeness. People watch the past. Where we have been. The glory in the past. And they live in the past. Tabernacleness needs pioneers. People who think ahead. And are thinking always in terms of. The future, where is God going? Templeness needs gatekeepers and rule keepers and measured itself in the past. Tabernacleness, as we've said, has got mobility. We're ready to pack up and move on. Where are we going? Templeness is about being stationary. We don't move. We don't even think about moving. Remember the good old days. Someone once asked Wayne Gretzky what made him a great hockey player. He said, most players skate to where the puck is. I skate to where the puck is going to be. There were men and women who started this church and they saw where the city was going, where the city was moving, and they skated there. That's why this church is alive today and not dead. So we are responsible in our generation, in our time, to skate to where the puck is going to be. We always need to be asking, where is God moving? And if we do not ask that, we will die in our sleep. I only have a few sad moments in my life. 
One of them was about 20 or 25 years ago when Harry and I went back to Scotland. I grew up there, as I've told you a number of times, I grew up in a church called Deniston Baptist Church. It was alive and a vibrant place for me. I grew up in their youth ministry. That's where I accepted Christ and was baptized. And we, the youth ministry, we know youth pastor. We just did it ourselves. About a hundred kids came on a Sunday night to worship, to sing, and we had a teacher. That place was alive for me. That's where I felt God called me to the ministry. And that a church affirmed me going into the Baptist seminary. So 20, 25 years ago, when Harry were back and, and I were back in Scotland, we visited some family and friends and all that kind of stuff. I visited where I grew up. And just around the corner from where I grew up is Deniston Baptist Church. I wanted to go there on a sunny morning. So I said, let's go around and see it and just make sure what time the service was and all that kind of stuff. So we went around to see the church. And it was a mess. It was dirty and unkempt. There was weeds growing everywhere. The notice board was blank. Nothing on it. So later that day, I phoned the Baptist Union office, told them who I was, that I was back visiting in Scotland again, and we wanted to come to Deniston Baptist on a Sunday morning, and we didn't see anything about the service and what's going on. They put me through to the man they called the general secretary. I don't know what your word is for that. I told them who I was again and explained it. And he said, Tom, I've got some really sad news for you. We have kept that church going as long as we could. But they wouldn't change. And they wouldn't understand what was going on around them. People were leaving the area. And about six months ago, we had to close that church. And we've sold the building. It's going to become an apartment block, condominiums. I know there's times that churches may have to do that. But can I tell you just for me, for that moment, I still remember it. That was a moment just of personal sadness. This was the place where I had come alive. This was a place where I met Christ, was baptized. This is a place where I laughed and sang and worshiped with a whole group of young people. Now it was dusty and gone and closed up. That's templeness. Churches die when there's accommodation, accommodation without engagement. We've seen week by week that some of the churches in this postal route, their letters reminded us that they took some very tough opposition from their culture. They faced Caesar worship, economic hardship, internal disruption, false teaching. Now, the point is that the church at Sardis did not face any of those external pressures that the other churches faced. It did not know the pain of internal upheaval and disunity. Everything at Sardis was peaceful. Going along just great. And that was the problem. William Barclay in his commentary on these passages writes about this church. He said, the strange fate of Sardis was that life had become too easy for them. It had grown flabby and had sunk into an easy, voluptuous decadence. 
He says, and the fate of church of Sardis was the same. When we read this letter, we see that the church of Sardis was not threatened by any of the dangers or perils which menaced the, menaced the other churches. There was no threat from Caesar worship or from persecution. There was no threat from the slanders of, from the Jews. There was not even the threat of internal heresy from within the church. In fact, the church of Sardis was completely untroubled from without and within. The church at Sardis was at peace. But says Barclay, it was the peace of the dead. The church had become a spiritual graveyard. When Harry and I were three weeks married, we got on a plane and came to Canada. 1968. We had $200. I think we've spent that now. And we came to a little Baptist church, a fellowship Baptist church, just north of Toronto. And we lived in a parsonage, which was real close to the church. And right behind it was a large, large cemetery. Sometimes when people would come for tea or to visit, they'd say, do those people ever bother you? We say, they never bother us at all. Because there's always peace in the cemetery. The church in Sardis had silently accommodated itself to the injustice, the immorality of the city. John White argues that the single biggest reason, he says, why the church in North America is not effective in evangelism is that we've silently accommodated to the sexual morality of our time. He says that far too many disciples of Jesus are trapped in secret sexual sins. The church has become a social club. The church is not the church when it accommodates to the voice of society. It is the church when it hears the pain of society and then engages and tackles with culture. And that engagement may not be easy. At times it will be messy. At times it will create tension. But that is the tension which gives it life. We need to understand that our culture shapes and deforms us. So that we will not, so we will not engage ourselves or people in a life of spiritual process without tension. One of the men died a few years ago. who really has challenged a lot of my mind and my thinking. You may know him. His name's Charles Chuck Colson. Came out of the whole Watergate era. Charles Colson wrote. Chuck Colson wrote in one of his books. Now think about this. This stopped me in my tracks. He says, the church is not a tool to rebuild society. The church is simply called to be the church. To live like the church. To act like the church. Simply to be the church. And it does its greatest impact when it lives and acts like the church. When the church is truly the church. It will be in tension with its culture. But that is a tension which will change culture. John Newhouse, a Roman Catholic theologian, says the church best serves the world when it is most distinctively and most unapologetically the church. And when the church dares to be different. There are issues and times which we'll, when we will be supportive of our culture, what it does. And there will be and must be times when issues in the church, if it's alive to the word and the spirit, must be in tension with this culture. 
If that is not the case, we are asleep and it is a sleep of death. We're not being a church. Then we're running a cemetery. Last, but by no means least churches die when there is activity, lots of activity without the presence and the power of the spirit. Sometimes the work of the church, the council, the board, whatever, is just there to keep the machinery of the church going. The agenda of the council of the board has moved from mission to maintenance. Doesn't matter really whether the spirit is there or not. That is the quiet but deadly seduction of doing without being. The church at Sardis had lost sight of the fact that the heart of his life lay in his relationship to Christ, the head of the church. You see, the presence and the power of the Spirit was missing. But things just kept going on. When that happens, folks, and whenever we realize that, we need to stand in the gentle rain of the Spirit of God. We need to stop and lift up our hands and ask that the fresh touch of His grace to come upon us once again. That is what calls us back to the center of our lives, back to Christ. When the Spirit is present, the Spirit makes a difference. He makes a difference. He makes a difference between just gathering to sing and worship. He makes a difference, as we'll see in a couple of weeks, between just getting wet and being baptized. Over the many, many years when I've baptized someone, I put my hand on their head and say, I affirm in you today the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit for life and ministry. When the Spirit is present, it is the difference between a lecture and the power of the transforming word. There's a difference between just being a crowd of people and being the gathered body of Christ. When the spirit is missing, the church suffocates. It is gasping, gasping for the breath of God. Do you know that ministries used to have a lifespan of many years? They continued year after year, often decade after decade. Do you know that today that they will say that in churches, particularly in North America, the lifespan of many ministries now is three years. Three years. That means we have to be seeking new ways of reinventing ministries to do the mission of the church, which never changes which is to see lives transformed by the love of God, by the work of Christ, by the power of spirit. So programs may change. They may come and go, but the mission never changes. Along with this study, I've been reading Daryl Johnson's book on uh, the book of revelation. And in this particular chapter dealing with this church and um, Daryl Johnson, and we know from Vancouver is a very, a very thoughtful suggestion. Think about this one. He says, 
I think it would be healthy for every congregation periodically. And he suggests every five years to declare that maybe other than churches, it meets on Sunday, all programs, all activities stop. They just stop. They shut down. And they can only be started up again if it's demonstrated that they are in fact accomplishing their biblical purpose and the power of the spirit. Because churches can become bloated and stagnant because they do not have the ability to purchase themselves of extra baggage that they've gathered over the years. So it's you see, it's easy to add programs without subtracting others. And as a result, ministry becomes diluted because it's flowing in too many different directions. Most churches can only do a few things well. The the real struggle and the harder choices is not between the good and the bad. It is always between the good and the best. So churches die when they live in the past. Churches die when they lose lose touch with mission. Churches die when they lose activity of the life and the power of the spirit. These things fall like silent acid rain, silent, but deadly. So what does Jesus suggest? Does he suggest that we, we close the doors of a church like this in its unique location in downtown Victoria? Should we sell a property and abandon the city and flee to the suburbs? No, no, The gospel is always about resurrection, not about disposal. It's always about recovery, not about removal. It's always about rebuilding, not about demolition. And Jesus gives us five things to think about in this church. First of all, he says, waking up. That means you're waking up to the reality of the situation. Sometimes you just got to get real to see things as they really are and stop playing games, to be vigilant. Because we were always on the edge of irrelevance. Secondly, he says, strengthen what remains. If the church is dead, what remains? What's still going on? Probably committees, the board, the staff, the meetings. Jesus doesn't say they have to be thrown out. But their purpose needs to be renewed. They have to be revitalized. They have to be re-energized. Then he says, thirdly, remember. Go back to the essentials of the Christian life. What it's all about. Why did this start? This church start? Remember the goodness of God. Fourthly, he says, keep it. Don't let go of the presence and the power of the Holy spirit. Number five, he says, you repent, which is you turn around from the path that you're on and you start to set your feet in a new direction. Make new decisions. Starting today, write them down, put them into an action plan, start afresh. And I, can I say at the end, as I said at the start, I believe that there's a great deal, a great deal of spiritual health here at Central Baptist Church. Harriet and I believe deeply that this is where God would have had this be for this time in our lives. However, as we say that, we need to acknowledge that we cannot be smug or complacent. Any church is no more than a few years away from irrelevance if it loses its authentic spiritual life. We must never become self-satisfied or contented. That will be our death. 
we always need to be keeping our eyes on the cloud and the pillar of fire. And all that we do, every service, every program, every meeting, every ministry needs the breath of the Spirit, the breath of God. So we come, as we do once a month, to a time of communion woven into this service. I was very aware this week, preparing this, that this, like everything else we do, needs the fresh breath of the Spirit. So we want to make sure, please, that everyone is served with one of us. If the ushers could just see to that. If you need served, just please raise your hand. Someone will come. Down here. Down here at the front. Thank you. Thanks, John. Down here. You see, again, this can become so easily just a little monthly ritual. We don't think very much about it. But this morning, may we stop and think about it and ask the breath of God to come and just give us a fresh touch of what this means. And I'm reminded that the night I was baptized about 62 years ago was the first time I took communion. My hair was still wet. I got dressed again. And a tray of bread and wine passed in front of me. I was so excited. So excited to take this piece of bread. Would you do that now too, please, as you open the top of this very carefully. You find a wafer in it. And as the pastor at the front, I still remember his name, took a loaf of bread and broke it open. And said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Now let's just understand the bread does not change. The bread stays bread. But we are changed. As we take it by his spirit. We remember all that Christ has done for us. So take and eat this morning. Jesus says this cup is the cup of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, all that he accomplished for us to take and drink.
every one of our lives this morning is a testimony to this fact that the amazing, amazing power of God can take things that are dead and bring them back to life again. When the spirit blows into them. So the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out of the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to these dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to the bones. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin and I will put breath in you and you will come to life and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. The bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared in them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these that are slain, dead, that they may live. So I prophesied as they commanded me, and breath entered them. And they came to life, and they stood up on their feet. Let me try that line again. And they came to life and they stood up on their feet. And they were a vast army. Our closing song this morning. It's a lovely gentle hymn that gathers up all we've said this morning. Holy Spirit living breath of God. We want to take a moment to thank you for listening, and we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings in person or online. For more information about who we are and what's happening at the church, visit us online at centralbaptistchurch.ca. And it would mean so much to us if you took a moment to rate and review the podcast. It's one of the best ways you can help us spread the truth of the gospel online. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast.